We had an interesting week this week. Um, it was the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, which is a group of uh, Christians that gather uh, annually, and it's in, this year it was in Orlando, Florida. Uh, we had the opportunity to present in grace to uh, folks there. Um, many had heard of us and know of us, some hadn't, and so it was good to have that exposure and let people know about our media ministries of our church. Uh, we also were able to sponsor the breakfast that was to honor Israel. And included in the sponsorship was an opportunity for me to speak for two minutes. And you know I can't say my name in two minutes. And so it might have gone a little bit longer, but not much. Uh, but in that, we were able to express our viewpoint that uh, we love and support the nation of Israel. Uh, and when I said those words, I was reflecting your hearts and your attitudes and also, uh, you know, the Jewish people we want to love and support. It was a year ago that I, at one of those same, that in that same event, in, um, I think it was in Nashville, I had asked the Lord if he could use us more in reaching um, and showing our love to our Jewish friends. And since that day, not only were we able to sponsor that very breakfast and share the gospel at the breakfast, um, we also had the opportunity of having the Consul General to the Midwest here in our church, and we celebrated an Honor Israel Day. Uh, we also had a, a wonderful opportunity. My wife and I, if you remember, I think it was in late November, a cemetery in Waukegan was desecrated, a Jewish cemetery with swastikas. And my wife and I went there to show our support to those families that had uh, their, the memories of their loved ones disgraced. And we were there with a family that uh, was also looking at the and taking pictures of their, their tombstones. One was a, a hero, an American hero, a Jewish man that flew, or I think he was the bombardier on uh, bombers, and flew, I think, 50 sorties and survived into Germany. Um, and his, his headstone had a swastika on it. And so... We stood there and we said, we support you. We're sorry this happened. I'm a um, pastor of a church in the area. And uh, so that was, that was good. We got a letter. Actually, I think it was a phone call and a letter a few weeks ago that said, hey, uh, we've got the cemetery all repaired. It's all cleaned up and we're going to have a rededication. Would you and your wife come to that? And so that'll be in a, in a few weeks in June, right after I think the Grace Conference. So we have, God answers the prayer, right? God, God has given us great opportunities. And again, we want to show that the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is our God. And, and they gave us our Messiah. And many Jewish people don't understand that. But the more we love them, the more we support them unconditionally, the more I think that we're going to provoke them to jealousy, to, to what we have, as Scripture says. And hopefully they will come to the knowledge and, and faith in Yeshua, Jesus, as their Messiah as well. So that was a wonderful opportunity uh, this week, and I uh, just wanted to share that with you. Today, though, we are going to remember the sacrifice of blood, sweat, and tears. These things have been shed for us, for our freedoms, for our forgiveness by hundreds of thousands of American heroes and by one, the man Christ Jesus, our hero of heroes. 
It was General John Logan. In 1868, a little bit of time after the Civil War, declared on the day that was then known as Decoration Day, the following. The 30th of May is designed or designated for the purpose of strewing with flowers or otherwise decorating the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country during the late rebellion and whose bodies now lie in almost every city, village, and hamlet churchyard in the land. And now we call it Memorial Day. Sometimes we think of it as summer is here, let's have a barbecue day. And although that might be what you do tomorrow, let us definitely take the time to honor the ones who gave us this country. A Navy SEAL wrote this, Memorial Day is not a celebration. Memorial Day is a time of reflection, pause, remembrance, and thanksgiving for patriots who gave up their own lives to protect the lives and freedom of us all, including the freedom of generations long gone and generations yet unborn. We owe the fallen a debt so enormous that it can never be repaid. So I think it would be appropriate right now for us to have a moment of silent prayer. And in that silent prayer, may I ask that you would thank God for the sacrifice of thousands of people that gave their blood, sweat, and tears, but primarily their blood, the blood of their lives for you and for me. Our Lord, we thank you so much for this country. We thank you so much for the freedom that we have here to enjoy our freedom to express our viewpoints, the freedom of our press to even criticize our leaders, the freedom, Lord, to worship. We thank you, Father, that we can stand here today without any fear, without any repercussions. And Lord, how rare that is in our world where many, many nations prohibit this gathering. We thank you for those that sacrificed for our freedom, and may we return as a nation to you. We praise you for the precious blood of Jesus shed for our freedoms from sin. And Lord, we give you this day, we give you this, the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. A lot of people don't understand our history as a country. And again, I'm not saying that God is an American. I'm not saying that America is the answer to the world's problems. Jesus is the answer to the world's problems. But we live in a country that gives us the freedom to say what I just said. And we also live in a country that at its core, at its very foundation, at our, in, in our fabric, are interwoven the, the most amazing words of faith 
And I'm going to give you some of those quotes today. The first is from the president of Yale. I'm pretty sure the president of Yale today would not say what this man said, Reverend Ezra Stiles. But um, many people don't realize that Yale and Harvard and Princeton and, and other prestigious United States universities all started for ministry training, for Bible teaching. He said, in, in reference to George Washington, he was addressing Connecticut's General Assembly in um, 1783, and he was talking about George Washington, General George Washington being chosen to command the Continental Army. He said this, the president of Yale, the memorable battle of Bunker Hill convinced us that Americans both would and could fight with great effect. Whereupon Congress put at the head of this spirited army, meaning Washington. Then he says this about Washington. This American Joshua was raised up by God and divinely formed by a peculiar influence of the sovereign of the universe for the great work of leading the armies to liberty and independence. And while we render our supreme honors to the Most High, the God of armies, let us recollect with affection, honor, the bold and brave sons of freedom who willingly offered themselves and bled in the defense of their country. The officers and soldiers of the Patriot Army and gallant commanders and brave seamen of the American Navy have heroically fought the war by sea and by land. Never was the profession of arms used with more glory in a better cause since the days of Joshua. It's a really amazing statement, isn't it? It's an, it's an amazing quote of what America was at our beginnings. You're not going to hear that today. You're not going to hear this in most churches or colleges, certainly not in the, uh, the major media, you're not going to hear these things. History Channel isn't going to tell you this, but this is, this is our history. The, you can't undo it. It's, it's done. You can only ignore it, but you can't undo it. Now, let's talk about George Washington. He issued an order July 9th of 1776 after having the Declaration of Independence read to his troops. General George Washington said this, commanding officers of each regiment are directed to procure chaplains, persons of good characters and exemplary lives, to see that all inferior officers and soldiers pay them a suitable respect and attend carefully upon religious exercises. The blessing and protection of heaven are at all times necessary, but especially so in times of public distress and danger. The general hopes and trust that every officer and man will endeavor so to live and act as becomes a Christian soldier, defending the dearest rights and liberties of his country. The peace and safety of his country depends upon, uh, under God, solely on the success of our arms. And again, this is 
General George Washington would become President George Washington, the founding father of our country. No, not a man without any flaws. Are there any? But certainly a man that had it right in reference to God and the word of God. And uh, I believe that God brought him through miraculously uh, through the Revolutionary War and helped us become the nation we are. And I think most people still recognize him as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, leaders of the United States. What about Abraham Lincoln? Well, he referenced, during this was during the Civil War, November 15th in 1862, he actually referenced what we just talked about with George Washington. He said, the discipline and character of the national forces should not suffer, nor the cause they defend be imperiled, by the profanation of the day or name of the Most High. At this time of public distress, adopting the words of Washington in 1776, men may find enough to do in the service of God and their country without abandoning themselves to vice and immorality. Lincoln went on to say, the first general order issued by the father of his country after the Declaration of Independence indicates the spirit in which our institutions were founded and should never be or should ever be defended the general hopes and trust that every officer and man will endeavor to live and act as becomes a christian soldier defending the dearest rights and liberties of his country and by quoting george washington abraham lincoln echoes the same sentiment We just continue to move through history, and we come to Ulysses S. Grant. He was the first to hold the rank of general of the army and wear the four-star insignia. And he was ill in 1884, and he wrote this. I believe in the Holy Scriptures, and whoso lives by them will be benefited thereby. The Scriptures are man's best guide. I wish our president would say that today. Yes, I know, and I feel very grateful to the Christian people, Grant continues, of the land for their prayers on my behalf. President Ulysses S. Grant. Let's continue down through the decades, and we come to 1917. You all know that we're in World War I times now. And I'm quoting a lot of our generals and commanders-in-chief today because of the, the people they led into battle and the blood that they knew those people would shed. The words that they gave to their troops were important words. And President Woodrow Wilson was writing the forward of a pocket Bible that was given out to thousands of American soldiers who were going to France and Belgium in World War I. And he wrote this, Woodrow Wilson, the Bible is the word of life. I beg that you will read it and find this out for yourselves. When you have read the Bible, you will know it is the word of God because you will have found it the key to your own heart. Woodrow Wilson. How about General John J. Pershing, the general in 
World War I. He wrote a preface to the New Testament and the book of Psalms that was being given out to troops. And this is dated August 10th, 1917. To the American soldier aroused against a nation waging war in violation of all Christian principles. Hardships will be your lot, but trust in God will give you comfort. Temptation will befall you, but the teachings of our Savior will give you strength. Commanding perishing. Also in that same time, the former president, Teddy Roosevelt, 1917 as well, inscribed the foreword to a pocket New Testament and Psalms given to the World War I soldiers, and this was published by the New York Bible Society. And Theodore Roosevelt wrote this, the teachings of the New Testament are foreshadowed in Micah's verse, what more does the Lord require of thee than to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? Do justice and therefore fight valiantly against the armies of Germany and Turkey. For these nations in this crisis stand for the reign of Molech and Beelzebub on this earth. That's pretty strong language from one of our former commanders in chief. We move on. A few decades later, the war to end all wars didn't. And we come to now what we call World War II. It was in January 25th of 1941. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt wrote the prologue to a special Gideon's edition of the New Testament and book of Psalms that was given to millions of soldiers. And he wrote, as commander in chief, I take pleasure in commending the reading of the Bible to all who serve in the armed forces of the United States. This, my friends, the president, the commander in chief of the United States in 1941. And then in 1944, this was during the Battle of the Bulge in World War II in the European theater, General George M. Patton asked Chaplain James O'Neill to write a prayer. This prayer was written on a quarter of a million cards and distributed to the soldiers of the Third Army. And this is the prayer of Chaplain O'Neill on the direction of General Patton. Almighty and most merciful Father, we humbly beseech thee of thy great goodness to restrain these immoderate rains with which we have had to contend. Grant us fair weather for battle. Graciously hearken to us as soldiers who call thee that, armed with thy power, we may advance from victory to victory and crush the opposition and wickedness of our enemies and establish thy justice among men and nations. Amen. Are any of you surprised by this? I hope you're not, but if you are, this is our history. These are words of our leaders. These are words of those that led in um, hundreds of thousands of people into battle and into sacrifice of their blood for your freedoms. General Douglas MacArthur, he had heard about what happened in Bataan, what's called the Bataan Death March. I've been to that peninsula in the Philippines. I've been to that route where 10,000 Americans and Filipinos 
as prisoners died. And he wrote on April 9th of 1942, to the weeping mothers of its dead, I can only say that the sacrifice and halo of Jesus of Nazareth has descended upon their sons and that God will take them unto himself. Quotes from American leaders that are American history, interwoven, inter, interlinked into America's DNA and this nation that we find ourselves today living, maybe taking for granted that we have words so profound and so foundational upon this. I'm not saying every one of our leaders and our founding fathers was a Bible-believing, born-again Christian, but many were. And all of them, I would say, without maybe any exception, had a respect for the Word of God and for the God of the Bible. And so let's not leave that. And and the calls for people to separate church and state, that wasn't uh, the intent. The intent uh, was for the government to not establish a religion. Because we don't want the government to say, this is the denomination that you have to be part of. Uh, That would be, that's what was happening in England. That's why they left. And so that doesn't mean that, that we shouldn't have God in government. That shouldn't be, mean that we shouldn't have God in the public square. We should. And we need to do everything we can to, to facilitate that back. And I think just by talking about these things and quoting our leaders and our commanders-in-chief and our generals, that might have enlightened you a little bit today and, and to share these things with others. All of these quotes were compiled by William Federer. What is liberty? Well, we know liberty is priceless. You can't put a price on it. Until you don't have it, you don't really know what you have. But what is liberty? Liberty is simply freedom from tyranny. That's it. Freedom from tyranny. And as we pray, as we prepare to enter a day of remembrance for those who died for liberty, it is fitting to remember the one who died to set us free from spiritual tyranny. And I'd like to spend a little time and look at Luke chapter 22 today. Luke chapter 22, a passage in which uh, uh, this is very near Jesus' arrest. He's actually just hours away or, or even minutes away from being arrested, put on trial, declared innocent three times, and yet put onto a cross. His blood at this point, started to come out of his body. And it would continue to do that from scourgings, from his flesh being torn out of his back, blood coming down his forehead because of a crown of thorns, blood coming out of his arms and his feet as he was nailed to a cross, blood gushing from his side as the soldier pierced him and water and blood came forth. We're going to talk about blood today. It's something that most pulpits don't talk about. They don't sing about the blood of Jesus anymore. But we do. Why? Because it's everything. It's, it's, the, it's the blood that paid for freedom. It's the blood. And Jesus, it says in Luke twenty two thirty nine, 39, came out and went as he normally would, would go to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, we know this as Gethsemane, 
On our trips to Israel, our next trip is already sold out. We have another one planned for 2025. We take you to a garden of olive trees on the Mount of Olives. Gethsemane means olive press. And there Jesus was pressed, pressed. He came to this place. He said unto them, his disciples, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And when he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, he kneeled down and prayed saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. In a little while, we will celebrate what we call the cup. The cup of communion, the cup of the Lord's table, the cup that he had just had with his disciples in an upper room, a short walk from the Garden of Gethsemane back up into Jerusalem. He had just celebrated a moment with them and he said, this cup is the New Testament. This is a picture, this is a a, a representation of my blood. And now he's saying, Father, if there's any other way, it's dark out. Not just the sun has set, but that the evil of the world is coming down and oppressing Jesus because he's going to die for sin. He's going to die for my sin. A lot of people have blamed the Jews for the death of Jesus. Others have blamed the Romans. I will say I am to blame because he died for my sin. His blood was shed for my sin. The cup is his perfect, innocent blood. He would have to die. He would have to become sin. He never sinned. But our sins were placed upon him on the cross. That is the cup. If there's any other way, remove this cup. There isn't. There isn't any other way, the father said to the son. This is why you came. This is why I sent you into this world, to be a a willing sacrifice for sinners. No one could have put Jesus on the cross unless he was willing. And Lord, if there's any other way, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. If you have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and you're born again and you're on your way to heaven, I hope that's your prayer every morning and every afternoon and every evening. Lord, not my will. Help me today. Show me what you want me to say. How do you want me to respond to this? How can I, how can I love someone more? Not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The first drops of blood that would become a trickle and then a stream and then a river. And anyone who bathes in that precious, innocent blood of Jesus is washed whiter than snow. Jesus sweat drops of blood, and only Luke mentions this. Why? Well, because Luke is a physician. Luke understands there's actually a medical condition. Hematorosis. Hematohydrosis. Hematohydrosis is a condition that with, it's rare, but with extreme emotional stress, the capillaries can burst 
and blood can actually come out of sweat glands. This is the strain, this is the emotional strain that was upon Jesus at this time. I've come to realize this, that sacrifice always includes blood, sweat, and tears. The Bible speaks a lot about Jesus' blood. In the aftermath of the, of the crucifixion, we read throughout the, the New Testament, starting in Acts, in Acts 20, verse 28, it says, feed the church of God, which he hath, what? Purchased with his own blood. You were bought. There was a price paid for you. It was the price of Jesus' life. Because without blood, there is no life. You take blood out of someone, you take enough blood out of someone, they die. So it's the blood of Jesus that purchased the church and purchased you. Colossians 1, in verse 20, it says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross. So blood not only purchased the church and purchased your freedom, it also purchased peace for you. The world is seeking peace and cannot find it, but Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. How can he bring peace? Because he paid for it with his blood on the cross. We continue in the New Testament. We come to Ephesians. In Ephesians 1 verse 7, it says, whom, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Redemption, peace, the price of your freedom was paid by drops of Jesus' blood. First coming at garden at the Garden of Gethsemane and then at his trial and ultimately at the foot of the cross. I would assume the cross had blood trickling down the wood on probably the front and the sides. It must have been a, glor- a gory scene, a scene that we would maybe be queasy. I don't know if any of you Faint at the sight of blood, some of you do. But that blood is precious because it bought our redemption. The forgiveness of sins. The riches of his grace. In Hebrews, it talks a lot about the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood is no remission. What does that mean? That means that You cannot pay for your own sins. The only solution that we have is the shedding of blood, but not just the shedding of any any blood. It needs to be the shedding of innocent blood. There was no innocent human ever because Eve sinned, Adam sinned, everyone born of Adam is a sinner by nature and a sinner by sinning. We sin and it would need to be the innocent blood. We say, how could there be an innocent human? Because God sent his son into the world, born of a woman. The virgin birth is the key, but not of a man. Fully human, like us in every way, except for one. He had innocent blood. 
He was born innocent without sin and he never sinned. What did Pontius Pilate say when they were on, when Jesus was on trial? He says, I wash my hands. I don't find any fault in him. He actually declared Jesus innocent three times, but still condemned him to death. What a foolish man Pontius Pilate was. And his wife warned him not to do this. Guys, listen to them. They're most often right. And my situation, always right. <clears throat> But that blood was innocent blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. In Hebrews 10, 19, it says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by what? The blood of Jesus. What is that talking about? That's talking about our prayer life. We can go boldly to the throne of God. We can pray right to, we don't have to have a priest. We don't have to have a temple. We don't have to have even a church. Now you should go to church. It's the, it's the way we gather together and we, we stay excited for Christ. It's our outlet for ministry, but you don't need this building. You don't need this pastor to go directly to God. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Do you see what the blood has done for you? That first drop at Gethsemane. First Peter 1 Peter 1.18, it says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, your behavior, received by tradition uh, from your fathers, but with what? The precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The blood of Jesus. Is it precious to you? It is precious, but is it precious to you? And then speaking of the saints that will be martyred during the tribulation period, a seven-year period coming upon this earth soon, I believe. It says in Revelation 7, 14, have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So throughout the scriptures, We find that blood is a necessary component for our redemption. And then we find Jesus sweating drops of blood in Gethsemane. We see him dripping drops of blood in Jerusalem on his way to the cross. And then we see the blood pouring out of him. He gave his blood. He gave his life for you and for me. So let's remember that today. Let's remember the blood of sacrifice, men and women that have been laid all across the battlefield. Imagine that for a moment. All of the sacrifice and all of the blood and all of the wars of this country for you, for your freedom, for your liberty. Let's also remember the the one that shed his perfect blood for freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom from the power of sin. And one day, freedom from the very presence of sin. The precious blood of Jesus. Do you know him? Have you received him by faith? If you've never in your life remember a moment when you have said, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, but right now I put my faith in Jesus. The son of God who died for my sins and arose. You can do that right now. Let me show you this. This is all of us, my left hand, and this, my wallet, is our sin. We've all sinned. 
We've all fallen short of the glory of God. This is my right hand, God and his perfection. And he is holy. He is righteous. Our sin separates us from him. But he loves us. But he hates sin. So what does he do? He sends Jesus to come and die for our sin on a cross. He rose again the third day. And he says, if you'll trust in me, put your faith in me, a one-time decision of faith, you will not perish but have everlasting life precious blood of Jesus. You're trusting in him. You're allowing his blood to wash you from head to toe to make you whiter than snow by the blood of the lamb. And by faith, you trust in him. You will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's not by works. It's not by uh, religion. It's by trust. It's by faith. And if you'll do that, the Bible says that you'll be saved today and forever.